Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. More efficiency and more growth. The often conflicting pressures of business today seem unrelenting, especially on the digital shelf. Mike Monroe, Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, spends countless hours in C-suites and with teams at brands, defining the strategies, processes, tech stacks, and experience innovations that lay the foundation for a more profitable future. The ingredients to scale a content supply chain to both continually optimize for performance today, while investing in an AI-fueled future of true personalization and operational transformation. And according to Mike, what's at stake is that your brand will either win big or lose big. Mike joined Rob Gonzalez and me to provide a journey map to that future. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are super grateful. So excited to have you here. Thank you, Peter. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Well, you know, in this in this economic time, sort of this new business reality that we find ourselves in, the, the conversations with our DSI members and on the podcast really and uh, really revolve around the pressures of needing to simultaneously grow the top line, uh, squeezing you know better performance out of the digital shelf and omni-channel while also growing the bottom line, i.e. lower costs and drive greater and greater efficiency. And that has a lot of implications for our audience, for the brand manufacturers that are trying to win. And you, and I know your customers at Deloitte Digital, I think. And so that's why I wanted to sort of check with you first. Do those themes resonate you and are they top of mind in your in your client conversations? Yeah, uh, Peter, that's a great, uh, great question. What we see across the board is uh, with our clients is that you know, growing the top line, uh, protecting market share, growing market share, and increasing profitability are top priorities, and uh, they're under a lot of pressure. And so, uh, you know, enabling uh, the teams uh, and the brands to be able to, you know, create the results they're looking for. These are um, major activities, and you know, they always have been major activities, but they're, they're just increasingly uh, more challenging. So, you know, our, our clients are very focused on those things. And um, it's, uh, it's uh, especially in, in, in the economy that we're working through now, it's, it's especially important finding a, a, especially a lot of interest and we're helping a lot of folks improve those. So one area where you could, in this theme, hit the top line and the bottom line, is retail media, which of course is booming. People are spending crazy amounts of dollars on, on retail media. I, I saw a stat, I don't know if it's in 24 or 25, that retail media advertising is going to be larger than television advertising in the United States. I'm, it's just an, a, a, like an ocean of money going in there. And for large manufacturers, it's one of, if not the largest line item relating to the cost of running their digital business. And one of the things that that you've had a strong opinion on, and I'd love to hear you talk about this, is if you improve the customer experience of and the brand experience of uh, what shoppers are seeing online, on the digital shelf, on those product detail pages, it can impact both 
the top line in growth and also the bottom line because it increases ad efficiency. And that's that's a story that I don't think that any like enough people are talking about or really understand. And I'd love to love to hear your views and on, on the matter. Yeah, Rob, it's true. We see that brands that improve the efficiencies in that conversion funnel, that engagement with their consumers and moving them through the conversion funnel to uh, whatever conversion is for them, whether it's add to bag and check out or uh, some other type of conversion. Brands that improve that conversion funnel, remove the friction and create an experience that enables the customer to identify what they're looking for, discover what they're looking for, and add it to, uh, you know, add, add to bag and check out or whatever that conversion moment is for that particular brand. Folks that are doing that well are the ones that are the most successful. And the other truth is, is that most brands are not doing it as well as they could be. So there's substantial upside uh, inside of that use case for a lot of brands. Yeah, Mike, can we dig into that a little bit? Because as you know, brands are often selling, they're selling through their own D2C sites, but they're also selling through sites that they don't control and and yet that they can influence, right? And I know Deloitte Digital does a lot of work in in the refinement of PDPs and and also certainly in the quality and, and uh, effectiveness of retail ads. So can you give us some... Some maybe some real life examples or blinded cases or thoughts yeah, of sort sure. of in those moments that are the friction moments. What are some things that you've seen some brands be able to do really well? Yeah, Peter. What I would say is that the mistake many brands make is they take a one size fits all approach to playing in these different channels. Oftentimes, we see clients that are you know they have a, a repository of content. And that content was created to a certain set of specs. And then as they play in different channels and different outlets that have different specs, they try to use that same content without modifying it to take advantage of what's available to them on that new platform. So they take a one size fits all approach to their, you know, to the content that they're publishing on these sites. And what we what we find, one of the things that we do is we look for uh, the opportunities to make improvements in, in how that content can better conform, uh, can better take advantage of the features that are available to them in these different channels. And just by making small modifications, uh, we see significant upticks in conversion that translate to immediate dollars, immediate and sustainable dollars that come to the bottom line. Dollars in 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 the form of margin, dollars in in the form of you know average unit value, dollars in the form of of larger transactions. So just by by evaluating what's available to them on the different channels and ensuring that their content takes advantage of those features that are available uh, that are on par with what the rest of the shopping experience is like on that channel um, really positions them to perform even better and and drive more efficiency and profitability. So in this time where you 
because I'm I ha- I'm keeping these twin pillars in my head, right? Sort of growth and efficiency. And what you're talking about, you know, probably the most efficient thing is one size fits all because I only have so many people, I only have so many cycles, et cetera, uh, and so much money to spend. And so I'm just going to do the best I can with my top X products and call it a day. I think, how are you helping clients sort of work through that that tension and kind of take the leap towards uh, being more specific across channels? How are you inspiring that that bravery kind of? Wow, this is uh, a great, really great question, and it's a uh, it is a big answer. There, there's a lot uh, that I could say about that, um, but but let me uh, let me try to be efficient with my answer. It, you know, the 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 the, the clients, you know, let con- we'll call it content supply chain, and the state of that content supply chain is a big consideration in terms of what solutions, what recommendations will have to be able to take advantage of the features that are available to them on these different channels. And the answer is not necessarily a binary answer. You know, one size fits all is a framework to think about, but it doesn't mean that everything has to be changed to plan the channel. You can go through and often folks do go through and prioritize where they want to um, make changes where they want to make improvements. So they get the most bang for their buck. So there is some prioritization that can happen. Then we have other brands that are, you know, very ambitious. Uh, they're really looking towards the future. They're thinking about, you know, how they take their systems and processes and teams that they have now and begin to the position them for what's happening next. And so those brands are really looking at their content supply chain and um, identifying how they create a, a, a supply chain that is nimble and efficient and one that is well positioned to continue to learn and improve based on the market results that they're getting and to drive efficiencies within that supply chain at all times. So the, the answer is you can prioritize what you do and and apply your efforts where you're going to get the most bang for the buck and or you can really take a look at your content supply chain and figure out what needs to be done to position it for the future while you take advantage of all the features that are available to you on the different platforms you play in. That aligns with the experience that we have working with uh, some of the some of the larger brands what they'll do is they'll like you're saying they, they've got to make choices on on exactly where they focus so the, where you get the biggest bang for the buck tends to be the best selling products and the best selling channels. So that, you know, they'll do a lot of optimization on the top X percent of products on Amazon, on Walmart, on Target, on Kroger, on Home Depot. Uh, but you get to, you get to customer number six on their list and, and they're doing less of that work or you get to skew number 100 on Amazon and they're not, not exactly doing a bang up job on every single feature on Amazon. And, and, uh, there's just only so much time in the day and so many humans and there's a lot of work to be done on the content supply chain is, is often what we see. And so uh, I wonder, I wonder two questions for you. One is, are there ways for companies to get scale today to cut, do more of what you're talking about? Every single product on, I don't know, the top 20 channels uh, taking advantage of every feature. And then the second thing is, and this is, you know, 
a buzzword alert. The second thing is artificial intelligence. Does does AI, does Deloitte see AI as being a scaling superpower here where you could take some of the strategic intelligence and operational effectiveness that you bring to the content supply chain and use AI to effectively apply it across a much greater variety of channels and products. So the, it's like the before AI efficiencies and after AI efficiencies in, in that world are, are the two two questions I've got. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk, obviously, let, let, me, let me try to address the before AI. Deloitte recently conducted some market research where we um, surveyed about 650 senior marketing executives to you know, understand what are some of their priorities right now, how are they going about tackling those priorities, as well as what are they thinking about, how are they uh, exploring AI. The research, the research we did showed that right now, today, marketers are having to create more than 50% more content this year than they did last year. Wow. 50% more. And that half of those marketers are struggling to meet those needs now. So there is, notwithstanding what's coming down the pipeline, what's in front of folks right now is a predicament that they are struggling to work through, struggling to meet the demands of. So that is where we're doing a lot of work right now to uh, help brands identify efficiencies, to rethink how their content supply chain works, to better go after all the opportunities that are out there. You know, I understand, and I, I talked about the prioritization of work, but in the long run, that's not the way to grow your business because you're not going to give all of the products the opportunity uh, to grow. Uh, that they need. You're going to, you know, ultimately build a business that, that potentially is a little lopsided. So there's a lot of work that's happening right now to help drive efficiencies, to help build a more sustainable and agile content supply chain because of uh, what marketers are experiencing. Hey, Mike, before you get to the the AI phase, I'd love it if you could dig into the next level of detail on that. Like, what if you had a top three or top two or whatever of what you've seen some clients do with you that have unlocked that kind of efficiency, do you have a couple of thoughts there? Yeah, the, the, there's a, there are a couple of principles uh, that really uh, deliver the most value. And I, I would, the, the first one is creating a factory that, and this is, you know, cultural, Creating a factory uh, that is one that learns from itself, that has a virtuous cycle where market feedback, market results, what worked, what didn't work is fed back into the factory and more of the things that work are done and less of the things that don't work are done. So this iterative factory concept where, where there's a regimen and there's a mentality and there are decisions made actively in an ongoing way about what to do more of and what to do better. Uh, that That's one thing. The other, another principle that is super key is ensuring that the inputs into the factory, the brief, whatever that 
whatever those instructions are that kick off the process of making something are very clear and very uh, high quality inputs. That way that the, 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 the flow of work is one that can be as quick and as fast as possible. If the inputs are not clear or they're incomplete or uh, all the myriad of things that can happen, uh, it really slows down the process. And then of course, underneath all of that is the technology that enables the factory to sustain itself. Uh, you know, that, that enables the flow and the storage of content and then the ultimate delivery and publishing of that content. That, that technology solution uh, is super important. And, you know, we find many, many clients have a patchwork of systems. Many folks are, you know, living off spreadsheets and uh, things like that. And so the, the evaluation and uh, investment in technology is super key here too. So uh, before you jump onto the AI part of this, I've got a little, there's like a little tech joke, which is half of, this is a, a venture capital said this about 10 years ago, half of the businesses he was funding were taking workflows from spreadsheets and building, you know, billion dollar SaaS companies for, for each workflow. And ha the other half were, were taking businesses and and turning them back into spreadsheet processes. So <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and and for AI, I, I've heard the exact same possible joke future. You've got like uh, the the large language models do everything in a way, and the businesses that are coming out of Y Combinator and and venture capital being funded, so many of them are taking, hey, this there's a generalized model that can do everything, and like going specific on one, one workflow, one user, one task. And then obviously there's going to be the, the, the reverb, the pendulum will swing the other way at some point and come back to more general use cases. But so I, anyway, I thought, I thought that was funny when you were just bringing yeah. up the people working in spreadsheets. You know, I'm, I'm very familiar with this concept. Uh, I'm, I would just say that, you know, if, if you're a, a leader of, uh, of a business, of a brand that, manages this function. One thing that's, I think, very important to think about is ensuring that all of your users are using the tech platform, the tech investment that you've made, and that you're, you know, forcing your tech team to support the use cases as they arise. What happens in real life is that a lot of users just work outside of the system or use cases come up that were never considered. And so they just, you know, improvise something that's offline. And I understand the virtue of that, uh, believe me, and the practicality of just, you gotta get something done, so you gotta figure something out, but you have to require people to work in the system and you have to require your tech team to support these use cases. Otherwise you ultimately go back to spreadsheets because you don't have the flexibility that you need. That is really important insight that resonates deep. I don't know whether it's my soul, my gut, or wherever, <laughs> but I totally hear that. And 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 that's why it, I mean, part of evaluating technology, I would imagine, is figuring out how flexible is it to accommodate those use cases you can't even possibly begin to recognize. And and that's a tough thing to evaluate a technology platform for. It's sort of like proving a negative, like, oh, will this solve this thing that I've never even thought of yet? But it's really important to have that level of sort of foresight 
as you do your evaluation, I would imagine. I imagine you 100%. have insights for that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. All right. So, so tell us how AI is going to solve all this. Will you please? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the way that, you know, the, the, the research showed, the research that we can recently conducted showed that marketers are very interested in AI, that uh, a large percentage of marketers are actively exploring, actively identifying tasks that uh, can be uh, converted to AI, that that humans are still very much involved in the process because the governance of the outputs, uh, as well as the management of the sources and the inputs require high levels of skill. So very skilled people are very much part of the process, very much part of the work that's done. And what we're seeing is, you know, marketers, you know, placing what what I like to refer to as no regret bets. That they're identifying, you know, areas where they where productivity can be raised and making the investments to use AI to drive productivity gains. And you know we're 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 here, we're seeing the research is showing that big swaths of marketers are implementing these kinds of use cases now and seeing meaningful uplifts in productivity, seeing meaningful you know double digit uh, numbers of hours being reduced from the process because of the implementation of uh, AI, the utilization of AI. So, so really they're working on you know what I'm calling no regrets uh, bets. Uh, and then starting to think about, you know, emerging opportunities. Okay, now that I can do, you know, more of, of something, how can I use that to do something I was never able to do before? How can I create content? How can I create experiences? Uh, how can I drive conversion in ways that I could never do before? So that's sort of the next stage where we're, marketers starting to think about and where we're helping marketers to think about how they would do that. Hey, Mike, what we're hearing from, you know, our DSI membership may, I, I don't know, you could tell me, may represent a wider swath of sort of customer size and complexity than maybe you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And we're hearing a, a sort of a range of reactions to AI from, oh my gosh, we're all in, all the way back to our lawyers won't even let us. And I'm wondering if you are seeing that and sort of on your no regrets bets, um, you know, if we have listeners that are sort of dealing with internal resistance and, you know, we talk a lot about keeping humans in the loop, like, do you have advice around how to sort of break that log jam uh, in a way that's responsible for the company and can lead to victories that might be release some of that resistance? Yeah. Well, you know, first I would say, you know, I, I would encourage brands to really, you know, take this moment, take this capability very seriously and and understand that it it has the very real potential to be transformative, to be transformative of their business uh, and also to be transformative of their competition's business. And, you know, so, you know, if they believe that, and I, we, I encourage them to, then they need to create, you know, organizations inside of theirs 
that begin to think about what their charter is going to be with AI. What are the rules of the road? Uh, how does legal, you know, uh, play a role in this process? How does legal get comfortable with any issues, the issues that arise uh, from Gen AI? There really needs to be, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, a, a formal and agile structure in place that, you know, outlines what the rules of the road and the guardrails are going to be and ensures that they have buy-in uh, across the board. Uh, and then we see, you know, when, once that structure is in place, once that sort of center of excellence is in place uh, and they've created that framework and they've created that foundation, uh, we see brands then challenge themselves internally to begin to identify the use cases that are going to deliver the most value for themselves. Yeah. So when, you know, it's it's really taking it seriously, identifying that it, and believing that it's going to be transformative for themselves and their competition, putting the organizational framework in place to set up the guardrails and foundations, and then challenging themselves to to drive value using you know, this technology. The interesting the interesting part of that that I've heard people struggle with, and and I struggle with sometimes is. When, when you say this is going to be transformative in the business, it's hard for me to visualize exactly in what way. So the, I'll, I'll give you things that are easy for me to understand. Like the use cases for generative AI are generative. So writing descriptions, writing SEO optimized descriptions, doing things like applying qualitative review to descriptions, generating a lifestyle image. There's things like that that, you know, they're task oriented. They they fit somewhere neatly in a content supply chain workflow. They're taking something that's repetitive that a human does over and over again. And instead of having a machine do it, maybe with a human in the loop to review the output before it goes out in the world. And there's just so many of those clerical, repetitive, white collar things that AI gives scale to. They can summarize meetings. In our podcast, they can remove the ums and make us sound more intelligent. They can do all that, those types of clerical things. But then if you're a large branded manufacturer and you've got operations in 150 countries and you're you're sitting on 20 billion of annual rev revenue across the world and somebody says, this is gonna be transformative for you, transformative to your competition. Beyond just the clerical tasks, how do, how do you think about that? I mean, because it doesn't transform necessarily making the soup or making the drill, or does it? I mean, and, and on what timeline? And and so I, I think I think that's something folks struggle with. When, when you're engaging with the C-suite, what questions are you getting when they're trying to reason about that? And, when, and like you're saying, where they're trying to reason about the investment today and over the next 18 months, and what are the guardrails and and what's the ROI and and all that? It's it's just, uh, I think there's there's a future possibility, but it's it's kind of in the fog, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it does make sense, makes a ton of sense. And this is you, you, what you've, you know, outlined, Rob, is exactly the conversations that that folks are having. And and what what I what I would say at the C, you know, you asked about the C suite. When we're talking to the the C suite, we're not talking about use cases, right? Then we're not gonna that that is not where the C suite the C suite doesn't want to talk about the use cases, right? They want to understand, they want to be able to envision how this capability 
can be harnessed and used obviously to drive growth. And so we, we encourage folks to kind of, you know, bucket the opportunities and sort of, you know, three sort of different categories. I used the term earlier, you know, no regrets, bets. That's kind of, this is the use case level stuff that we talked about and, and Rob, you described. Then the next level is, you know, emerging opportunities or, you know, I, I like to think of that of, of new ways of engaging with your consumer that you could never have done before. You know, for example, you could, you know, personalization, really, truly creating one-to-one marketing truly becomes enabled through AI. I can market to Rob. I can market to Peter. I can create an experience that feels very real and very personal to you that I could never have done before. So those are kind of the emergence, uh, emerging opportunities. And then you know, we think about the next level, which is really how are they, how can they transform the way their business thinks and operates, whether it's, you know, new ideas in terms of, or in terms of how they research different ideas, how they deploy technology, how they drive their technology roadmap using AI, how, how do they really transform the way that their business operates becomes sort of the, the third area that we encourage people to think about that we talk about with uh, at the C-suite level. So at the use case level, that is the most practical and available place for um, folks to really sink their teeth into. But the true value and where the C-suite really wants to think is that these, you know, emerging opportunities and and how to really transform their business. And, and that is why when I said earlier, once once the client has the framework and the guardrails in place, they can then challenge their business leaders to identify the most valuable ways to deploy this technology to grow their business and to, to drive growth. Yeah, it's you know the the most compelling personal use case I've had with um, with Gen AI in general is one that's really hard to quantify. And, and exactly what you're talking about, that second bucket on, on big strategic possible changes. It, so for me, you ever see uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? You know how Ginny Weasley gets the, the diary of Tom yeah. Riddle and she writes in the diary and the diary talks back to her and it's kind of dire what have, what that diary causes her to do. But you know, in, in real life, the Chat GPT can be kind of like that. You can write in the diary and it'll talk back to you. And I found that when thinking through strategy or when thinking through tough decisions, it's more effective than journaling. And it's often more effective than talking it out with somebody else. There's this, there's this thought processor that kind of makes me and my thinking better. And how do you, how do you quantify that? How do you put an ROI on that? And then I think you know, if you're a multinational organization and you have, I mean, there's a lot of VPs that have a huge amount of leverage on the success of the business and you're giving them a thought buddy to work through ideas with like this. I mean, that's a weird use case in a way, but you can see it actually making everyone better and you make VPs better. And my gosh, that's got a lot of value to a business. Um, but it's you know, so there's a then that's a totally different way of working and it could probably impact the strategy in major ways. And 
And so I, I feel like that's the fog is like that, that second bucket that you had listed and way of thinking about it is, is kind of use cases like that, which are legitimately different than the way that folks have operated in the past and therefore hard to imagine in a way until you're doing it or until you see somebody else doing it. Yeah. I, 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 I love the way you frame that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, having a, having a, 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 you know, another partner, another point of view to bounce ideas off you to share with you in, in addition to journaling, in addition to having your, your, your team that you brainstorm with and work with uh, it's, it's a, it's another, another tool uh, that can enable you. And, and, you know, Rob, we're not even in, this is not even the bottom of the first inning. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what is to, and, 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 you know, the, 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 obviously the level of adoption and interest in AI is very high, but truly there's so much more to go. And once teams get comfortable with this and begin to understand the strengths and weaknesses and, and, and all of that, then I think the real ideation, the next level of ideation and thinking uh, will come and even better ideas about how to use this will be put to use. Yeah. And to, to, to close out on, on that note, Mike, you know, one of the things you were talking earlier about sort of a 50% increase in the content that people are required to get for the digital shelf, like right now, even before all of this. And when you talked about personalization as a, you know, new ways of engaging with your consumer, you know, the sort of, and it's probably not the holy grail anymore, but the holy grail that always came up to, in my head was that on a retailer's site, as soon as I arrive through whatever means, and maybe even everywhere along the shopping journey, that experience on the, when I sort of get first uh, attracted or, you know, to a retailer or to a particular product, and then through to the product page would be a completely different experience for me than for Rob, than for Lauren, than for you. And when I think about that, the amount of content required to be able to personalize and data to be able to personalize on the fly in the, the shopping and decision experience is massive. And so do you see that that, if not the Holy Grail, the sort of at least a medium Holy Grail is actually coming to the fore? Are the Is the technology tech stack and the processes starting to come together and the AI to make that actually possible for through a brand and retailer collaboration? Yeah, I, I Peter, I, I, I really love that because, I mean, we've been talking about personalization for a long time. We, the industry. Right. And it's I mean, always disappointing to be. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it is true. We are truly on the brink of being able to really create one to one marketing. We, we we're working with brands now that they've, they've made the tech investment. They've got the data. They've got the decisioning. And now uh, they are at the content supply chain level where they are working through how do they have content for Peter? How do they have content for Rob? How do they have content for Mike? So they give you what they think you want uh, as you want it. So 
it's it's truly there uh and it, it will truly be there you know we will be there very soon uh and the thing that's a that's you know the, uh the thing that i truly believe about this too is the the first brands that figure out how to do these things what we've just this conversation we've just had about ai the brands that figure out how to do this will win big and the, and the folks the brands that do not that lag behind will lose big and so it is something that we are encouraging all of our clients to take very seriously uh and to put um really uh allocate a fair amount of, of bandwidth to figuring out wow what a great way to close so Mike, just to to close, I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You mentioned that survey of 650 senior marketing leaders. Is that something that you can share publicly with with the DSI audience? Where where might they be able to find that? Yeah, Peter, I, I'd be happy to. Uh, you can find that survey on LinkedIn. We posted it uh, recently, and if you look me up, Mike Monroe on LinkedIn, you'll see that I posted it uh, yesterday also, and you can access the survey uh, through the link in the post. Uh, it'll take you right to uh, DeloitteDigital.com, where you can uh, also uh, repeat the survey on your own. Well, Mike, thank you so much for, for joining us. And I know you're about to become a grandfather. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I know that by the time this airs, you will have brought you and your family will have brought a wonderful new life and hope into the world. And so I just wish you and your family all the best in this time of joy. Thank you, Peter. That's very kind of you. I hope uh, I was helpful and uh, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you and Rob today. It was uh, it's my, one of my passions. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Mike for all the wisdom and to Rob for the Ginny Weasley reference. For all that and more, go to digitalshelfinstitute.org and become a member. Thanks for being part of our community.